0: what is my technology stack? Meaning, it's a fancy term for, is my technology in a private network where no one but me gets to it? Or is it out there, you know, in a public domain where everyone from people in Kansas to Kazakhstan can actually hit up on it? It's a lot of those things will determine how a small business should really navigate. But, you know, fortunately, you know, in today's world, there's a lot of cloud-based services that have security that SMBs can economically adopts. And at the same time, you know, they can also do it yourself, right? Do it yourself, security.
1: The following is a conversation with Tony Yucida-Velez, a risk and cybersecurity specialist who has worked for many years as an engineer turned founder and CEO. I highly recommend you follow the writings and research on his website, versebright.com. In this conversation, we talk about Tony's 16-year journey growing one of the top security consulting firms, Versprite, and dig in on how to measure risk, generate demand for services, and build a purpose-driven business, culture, and life. This is The Dirt Podcast, and I am your host, Jim Barnish. To support it, please check out our sponsor, Orchid Black, at orchid.black. And if you're enjoying the show, leave us a five-star review on your favorite platform. And now, my friends, here's Tony the velez Tony, thanks for joining us. Say hi to everyone.
0: Hey, everybody. How's it going? Nice to be here, Jim. Thanks so much for having me.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Let's go ahead and start off thinking about your company's name, Sprite. What does that represent to you as a brand and as a meaning?
0: Absolutely, yeah. Ver is a stem in Latin for truth, and Sprite is actually Greek. For spirit so back when i was trying to come up with a catchy name for a consulting firm i wanted to be you know very authentic right i wanted to do something that was super authentic to our customers to our people our employees our colleagues and so i came up with verse sprite i took that stem in latin for truth and sprite for you know spirit true spirited authentic Uh, and that's what it means to me and when it comes to everything about our business, we try to be authentic with our employees, our coworkers, definitely our clients, and just whoever we, you know, liaise with. So that's what that means. Awesome.
1: You know, you've spent a lot of time in, in risk management and security. What does your experience in risk management and cybersecurity teach you about general human nature?
0: Well, so my experiences, I think, with risk management, you know, really come from childhood. I'm a first-generation American. And uh, my parents are from South America, from Peru. And it was uh, during the time in the summers, I would go down there. And there was, uh, unfortunately, at that time, Peru is a beautiful place and highly recommend going. But at that time, there was a terrorist group called the Shining Path. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I learned from a risk standpoint was how to kind of be cognizant of your surroundings. And if you think about business, you have to be cognizant of your business environmental surroundings as well. I think my risk education went more formally when I went into, you know, to get my degree at Cornell and I was a focus on, you know, international finance and, you know, financial related, mathematic related themes. So I always wanted really to focus on quantification, right? What does this mean? Is this decision can to be quantified as a good decision or a bad decision? So it kind of transpired from there.
1: Yeah. And obviously. A lot to un a lot to unpack there in terms of human nature, general, you know, things that could scare the hell out of somebody, but also just, you know, general themes of making sure to be thoughtful about the way that you secure yourself, your business. Any other themes that pop out when you think about, you know, your experience there and some of the problems you guys are solving for?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, within, you know, the space of cybersecurity, you know, risk is a big word. In fact, you know, playfully there's there's a lot of risk religion debates, you know, believe it or not, in terms of what is risky, you know, and at the end of the day, we have this notion that we say oftentimes is that risk is relative, right? I always compare it to, you know, where two individuals live. One person might live in one part of the country where their risk tolerance is a little bit higher versus somewhere else. But going back to what we do in cybersecurity, you know, it's really about helping enterprises and companies, uh, Understand their overall risk as it relates to their footprint of technology, their products, their information. When it comes to entrepreneurship, you know, I think back over the years about risk, there's so many different silos and themes to really to be risk conscious about, right? How you hire, how you do your legal contracts, how you do your statements of work with your clients, right? What types of clients to engage in, right? What types of niches in your business do you want to go after? Because as you consider the broader theme of risk, you might go after a path that could lead you down, you know, a darker road in terms of profitability. Maybe it's more time, more overhead, more costs, and then you don't really see the margins you need. So risk is, I think, you know, agnostic to any, you know, you know, one industry. And, and for us, it's very much a, a key factor. In fact, you know, one of the early slogans for Versprite was navigate beyond risk. And what we were trying to talk to our customers about is that you oftentimes are going to make decisions in cybersecurity that are based upon fear or compliance or regulation or some sort of doubt. And that's not really this very strategic, right? You don't want to let decisions be driven by fear. You want it to be more tactical. You want to be in control. You want to be able to set what your plan is. And so Interestingly enough, with that question, one of our early slogans was navigate beyond risk. Hmm.
1: You mentioned fear, which obviously is, is an important topic when you're talking about security. But what role has fear mongering played into your company's risk management service?
0: Well, I, from a personal note, you know, every time I hear the word fear, I just, you know, I don't like to use the word hate or detest too much, but I have a very strong dislike for that word fear, not because, you know, it's something that, you know, is a is an Achilles heel, you know, for me, the organization, but I think it's really something that can really undermine the confidence of an entrepreneur going forward. You know, going back to the nugget of what we do in cybersecurity, as an example, A lot of customers, if you think about cybersecurity today, you open up the news, you open up your iPhone, your, your Android, you see a lot of people getting hacked, right? So companies are thinking, you know, am I next? And that's a good reasonable consideration, but you can really let that fear, right? To be lead into maybe bad investments, maybe over expenditures and capex, right? Buying all what I call Noah's art security, many organizations, large enterprises buy two of everything. I'll they'll go into a virtual store if you know, if I may, and kind of talk about this kind of fictitious example and say, I'll take two of everything, right? Because I don't want to get hacked. And we've helped with a lot of customers that from a corporate standpoint have been hacked and they've needed help. And it's a horrible moment, right? To say what happened? Who did it? Are they still here? What information did they take? So fear is very much, unfortunately, a a major factor in what we do in cybersecurity. But again, to reiterate, you know, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, although a lot of our competitors leverage that to trigger some sort of response, you know, from our, from customers and companies, it's not the right approach, right? You want to be tactical and uh, not just simply react and have a knee-jerk reaction that might actually be a worse decision. I'll end with this. So about 15 years ago, there was this kind of a depiction that if you got hacked, just unplug everything, right? Unplug everything from the outlets, yeah. take all the cat five network cables out and you know, you're know you okay. At least you can, you're, you stopped everything. But that this is an example where fear triggers a bad response because you want to be able to, once you start to unplug things, you don't, you lose forensic evidence, right? You lose to see what actually happens, so I can know what not to do next time. So, this is just an example where how fear in my particular industry can be very much a bad thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, this concept of evolved security consulting, which I see, you know, all over some of your materials really hits home with the way that you talk about
0: security. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah.
1: What does that mean? What does that evolve security consulting theme mean to you?
0: Yeah. I mean, so it, it kind of follows, it's like a part two of Navigate Beyond Risk that this, you know, I remember the first, you know, website that was done for the company. I actually did it myself, which was, uh, you know, embarrassing, but there was this like a I did old the same thing. ship cutter that was going into the clouds, right? And the idea is to go beyond what's unknown. Today with evolved security consulting, we see that some of the challenges in our industry and many industries in general is lack of time, lack of resources, way too much information, right? Today, we have information at our fingertips. We have APIs, we have interfaces going into our backend systems and things like that. And so how do you process all that? And so I think right now, our focus is to helping clients to uh Evolved with greater use of technology, machine learning, natural language processing, you know, artificial intelligence, so that simplistic, routine, human-led activities can be automated. And then some of the more higher-brow analytical aspects can be done by human intelligence, right? And so it's, this goes back to strategy, you know, with, you know, with the prior points I made around fear, not really equating to a good reset for strategy. It's really all about being strategical. How can you learn how to navigate beyond the risk issues with more information, but discerning it in a way that is consumable, right? You know, through technology, through programming and things like that.
1: I know you guys cater towards larger companies, enterprise organizations but how does a business owner take action on some of the things that that you mentioned, like a small SMB business owner?
0: That's a great question. In fact, the other day, literally last week on LinkedIn there was a full thread, you know, where there was a post that an individual was saying that, listen, I have this set up. They took a picture. Actually, it was a one, you know, as a nice computer stand, a computer there, maybe some servers in the bottom. They said, this particular small business has been operating this way for years with just one particular security software. And why? What's all the rhetoric around additional security concerns and fear and all this other stuff? And so, you know, what one thing you know with small business SMBs, and I think first it's important to clarify what is small business. Is it a a business that's two hundred fifty thousand dollars, you know, gross annual revenue, or is it? you know, 250 million. So I think, you know, it's important to define, and it goes back to the risk appetite overall, based upon what that small business is doing. So let's say construction. Construction, you have a lot of raw materials, you have a lot of equipment, you have projects, and then you have contractors, right? Those are predominantly some of the major components there. So overall, Is the threat landscape today in 2023 pretty rampant for that particular type of industry or company? Well, one might think no, but the overall threat model for that type of company would be to steal the identity of some of the contractor's information, maybe like some of the tax information. We actually have had manufacturing and construction clients where that's been the focus of adversarial groups or threat actors. So to answer that question for SMBs, it really comes down to understanding what is the risk appetite of that company Mm -hmm. and kind of having a self-reflective analysis of like, wait, what data am I using day to day? Is it regulated? Do I need to protect it? What is my technology stack? Meaning it's a fancy term for is my technology in a private network where no one but me gets to it, or is it out there, you know, in a public domain? where everyone from people in Kansas to Kazakhstan can actually hit up on it. It's a lot of those things will determine how a small business should really navigate. But, you know, fortunately, you know, in today's world, there's a lot of cloud-based services that have security that SMBs can economically adopt. And at the same time, you know, they can also do it yourself, right? Do it yourself security if they have that time and luxury. But yeah, those would be my thoughts there around small business.
1: Yeah. So how do you connect that back to the days when you built your first website?
0: Yeah, those were, man, it feels like just yesterday, but I think, you know, back in those days still, you know, with the with the prevalence of information on the internet, especially now with, you know, AI services like Chat GPT and BARD, you know, coming out from Microsoft and things like that. I think a do-it-yourself technologist in SMB can really learn really quickly in terms of what they need to do and what they need to build but if i think back you know even back then i mean i've always been i guess a very risk averse person because i wanted to make sure that if i'm building a cybersecurity company obviously i have to eat my own dog food right i can't go out there and put out a website that gets and then basically carry a personal profile where i get doxed and might be vulnerable for impersonation or other types of things mm-hmm. it could still happen you know the important thing i think is to not poke the bear And the bear in this example is cyber threat actors. You know, it's, there is a lot of individuals and hacker syndicates or groups. And then you also have nation states and governments that are very interested in all of our information. And they can leverage our information for a lot of different means. And you might be thinking, well, what are they going to do with my information? Like, I'm not anyone of big notoriety. I'm not a an actor or actress or, you know, a government official or someone of financial influence. So why would they want my information? But the fact is, is that there's a lot of benefit for anyone's information for the purposes of, you know, committing crime and impersonation and other things. Going back to the question, however, when I think about when I first started bright and the infrastructure we had, I think I definitely was always thinking about the type of security I wanted to have and also could afford. Mm-hmm. So my risk appetite was a little bit bigger. Because my budget was a little bit smaller.
1: Yep, makes makes sense. So how have formulas, methodology, practices, whatever word we want to use, allowed you to become such a leader in cybersecurity? Allowed Versprite to become such a leader in cybersecurity?
0: I- I think there's a lot, of, it's specific to cybersecurity. I think there's a lot of great frameworks that are out there that have been around forever. There's institutions that all they do is crank out great standards and guidelines. You know, I think about the International Standards Organization, you know, out of Switzerland, and they have a plethora of different, you know, guidelines and standards and controls and frameworks that companies, you know, larger companies generally would abide by, almost get certified. To as well and then you know you have the National Institute of Standards here in the United States you know out of out of Maryland and they've been you know doing a great job of getting the opinions of Microsoft of the world and Boeing's and Google's and all the different you know Companies that, you know, would be affected by security controls and frameworks. There's, there's so many out there. I represent actually, you know, I've, I've been the chapter leader for an organization called OWASP. It's the open web application security project. It's about a 60,000 person organization. It's now 20 years old and it really focuses on, you know, best practices in web application security or application security. So. Going back to the question, I think that these frameworks and controls that are out there have really not only benefited Versprite, but individual practitioners, as well as other be associated firms and companies, because these standards that have been out there have been put out in a communal fashion, right? They've been worked on as projects, again, by different reading groups, companies, and members and professionals, you know, for decades. So that's really, you know, led the opportunity. Now, here's the major caveat. So for those getting into cybersecurity or really even IT, it's oftentimes looked upon to be certified into one of these frameworks or standards as, you know, the finish line, I did it, I'm there, I got certified, I know everything. And it's a false sense of security, no pun intended, for that individual or company that gets certified against some of these standards. Because they look at it as the finish line. And the simple question you have to ask yourself is, do you think the criminals or the cyber criminals, the nation states out there, like North Korea, do you think they care about your standards? Do you think they care about that you are ISO 27001 certified or, you know, Six Sigma Green or ITIL certified or, you know, the list goes on. PCI DSS certified, a bunch of alphabet soup. Mm -hmm. And the reality is that they don't. What they'll do is they'll navigate, you know, between the blocks, right? They'll navigate be- between the tackles of what they find as defensive measures that you've done individually or as a company, and they'll try to basically go between the hedges. So there's a major, I would say, McPhail in, in those in cybersecurity that look at these standards as the finish line. I did it. I got the certification. I'm there. I'm all knowing. And... The One of the reasons I've transitioned into security from IT was the fact that, you know, security will always humble you every single day. You know, you have now Web3 technologies, you have the blockchain, you have smart contracts, you have, you know, the point is, is that you have evolutionary technologies that do need the help of security practitioners to first understand how does this work? And two, how to realistically make security recommendations that doesn't jeopardize function but can reduce my overall risk concern you know as, as a company so
1: so when you look at this this 16 year journey that you've been on with verse bright obviously risk security have been centered to the entire thing what other what other themes pop up when you think back to some of the evolution, right? Like, let's, let's flash back to, let's say, a couple million in revenue, maybe, right? What are some key themes that connect where you were then to where you are today?
0: I still remember, you know, the the concern of like, how do I scale, you know? How do I scale you? you want, we're, we're a consulting firm, so people-driven business. And, you know, first consultant was, you're looking at them. Mm-hmm. So I can't clone myself like Mr. Anderson in The Matrix. So, how do I scale to a point where the work that we do is repeatable and you know so that we can go ahead and grow as a company? So scaling is, I would say, in the early years, you know, a major concern that really fed a lot of risk concerns, you know. And then the other one, I think, was branding and reputation. So you know, when you're first starting a business, you care about cash flow. You know I think about Mr. Wonderful every time he talks about it on our tank cash flow, cash flow. And in and cash flow, is super important. It, you know, it depends on what your mantra is around building a business. I mean, there's a lot of people that, you know, aren't really averse to debt, aren't averse to building up an idea, a product and, you know, shaving off some of that equity for someone else. In my case, you know, I took a more of a traditional approach. I was more averse to debt, well, wanting more control. So wasn't really willing to be able to to part ways with equity to maybe a private investor so for me cash flow was the focus. So in the early years Versprite focused on subbing, right? Subcontracting to bigger fish out there. You know, bigger technology firms, Symantec and McAfee and all of these firms had professional service groups and they outsource and they still do some of the bigger firms they outsource a lot of the work. And so a lot of the smaller fish back then, you know, like Versbright, were there to establish relationships and do the work. That was great. that created cash flow. But then you had to turn the page of branding when you would try to do direct sales with companies and say, "Hey, you know we've been doing this for the past two years and doing these great projects." But the branding wasn't there, right? The brand recognition, the bright name wasn't really getting the credit. So turning that page, that was a steep climb for sure. So I would say those are the two predominant concerns that I think probably other entrepreneurs listening out there can identify especially if they're in the in the services business.
1: Yeah, let's dig into that last one that last one first, excuse me. The the concept around your own branding, your own demand generation, right? Your own which also drives scale by the way in in connecting it to the first point, but like how did you turn the tide on branding? and general demand generation to be more direct, less channel focused.
0: Well, so this is one of the takeaways, I think, for the audience, just to kind of begin with this kind of takeaway point is bring in people that are going to be the experts. So with that being said, I'll kind of regress into what actually happened. So me being very financially focused, I'm very much a hands-on cybersecurity operations person, right? You know, I like to be in the weeds in terms of, you know, engineering details, you know, programming languages and things like that. I didn't really have, I had an artistic, you know, mindset when it comes to building like, you know, the the imagery of the website, but when it comes to branding and more marketing centric things, I needed help. So I would say, you know, in the first couple of years, I've, I began to, you know, obviously network with the right people. And they brought me a great individual who really, really kind of lit the stove. I wouldn't say turn the corner. They lit the stove on that branding and marketing that we needed. At the end of the day, then in 2007, 2009, that those years, it was still content. Content was king, right? You The content, you know, distribution mechanisms were probably a little bit different, less mature than they are today. Today, you have, you know, different options with TikTok and webcasts and podcasts and all sorts of things. But content still was underdeveloped by first, right then. So, you know, I think one of the things that, you know, I did wrong as an entrepreneur was I didn't really pay, give it as much credence and. I finally was talking to a colleague in the industry who really said, you really need to focus on this. And I took the advice and it was basically hockey stick, you know, hockey stick, you know, change in terms of awareness, getting some level of of reach out, you know, visibility. Even though the company grew with just personal relationships, now those relationships could actually point to something and say, hey, you know what? This is a company that's making some noise here with some articles or making some noise with some publications online and things like that. And that's super important for them to be able to have that instance that they pick the right partner.
1: So are you still getting the majority of your business through some of those initial channels, or is it all direct? How does that mix play out today?
0: Yeah, so fortunately, we do everything direct. So we are no longer, I think, the indirect or subbing life that we had as a young company then, you know, that, we started to, you know, do the whole road shows and setting up a booth right next to those, you know, whether we would call them the primes, right? They were the bigger fish, but it wasn't the conferences that really got us, you know, out of their shadows. It was more of the, the branding, the content build out a combination of also networking, right? Networking so pivotal, especially in any relationship business. You have to be able to constantly network. And it's a fine balance, right? Because I consider myself mostly like an engineer. And the, the the kind of the psyche of the engineer is to be able to live within their technology layer and build stuff and, and then have that technology speak for itself. But it's important to be able to be a thought leader, to be able to produce content. And when I say content, it's online content, it's service sheets, it's, you know, direct email marketing that's, you know, tasteful and tactical for your customers. It's informative, it's educational. So the page that we turned was not having to be a sub. Now, in terms of business today, we, you know, get the still the majority of our business through relationships that really stem from really strong networking that we did early on, you know, and I would say for the past, for, since the whole inception of the company, networking, trade shows, local events, you know, things like was important in order to build those relationships in the local community and then fan out and do the same thing in New York and San Francisco and Austin phoenix and other places even globally abroad so now some of you listening
1: in maybe like wait 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 a minute jim we talked about on a bunch of episodes how important channel partners are for scale right how they help you drive business and now tony's saying we went entirely direct right what we say to those folks that's that are kind of like playing that dichotomy of you know how far do i go into channels versus how much of this do i do direct What, what about that balance
0: I th- it's, yeah, it's, it's a matter, I think, in my opinion about control, I think channel partners, you're, you're going to have a lot of relationships there and some of them going to work and some of them not going to work. And talking about, you know, you know, KPIs, you definitely need to have some there, right? You need, need to be able to have some level of measurement for those channel partner relationships so that after three, six, nine months, you look and see, okay, what is this relationship doing, you know, from a symbiotic sense? Otherwise you're just. Spending cycles, spinning your wheels on things that are actually taking time away from you. And time is very much money. So I think it's a, it's a, I think channels is super important. There's a lot of major organizations, you know, in cybersecurity. I think of Symantec. I think of like, you know, Tenable and they, in terms of sales, they do, you know, heavy, heavy, you know, channel partnerships and things like that. For, for us, you know, it just depends on are you selling services? Or are you selling product? I think product. It works really well to have channel partners for sure because the product material, the, you know, the trial periods, all that stuff really empower the channel partner to be able to have everything they need. When it comes to services, a channel partner might, might understand the core of what you do. Right. But the challenge with us specifically, and this is probably might not be the same thing for others out there, but maybe so is that, you know, when we do, let's say, for example, let's take a commoditized service in cybersecurity. There's a service called penetration testing or pen testing. And what that means is simply trying to infiltrate into an application or network. Okay, sounds really easy and it is commoditized. It, it doesn't sound easy. It is it is a commoditized service is what I really meant to say. But if you give that to a channel partner, you know they might have the crux of what that really means, like what is pen testing, what it's done, the stages, you know, the inputs, the outputs, the deliverables, the time frame. that's great. But what happens if you, if that channel partner runs into a potential customer in the energy space, and they're talking about pen testing a bulk energy system from Siemens or mm-hmm. GE, right? The nuances of pen testing those types of systems versus a mobile application versus a web server versus, you know, you know, an SAP module, you know, is different, and so all of those different permutations and variations makes it chan- difficult for ch- channel partners to, unless they have all the information up front, to be able to react to all those different permutations. But in general, I think for product, channel is the way to go. I think you lower your overall internal costs, and you can partner with the right channel partner that's gonna already has a captive audience.
1: So I, I hear you saying a, a few nuggets I want to pull out just to make sure that, that everyone fully heard those because there's some gold in there. So number one, service or product, right? That matters. Number two, it's all about balance and purpose in terms of what that channel partner is for, right? Channels is this big term that is can be can be very complicated and complex depending on what you're selling and to who. You don't need to be purposeful about what channel partners you're leveraging and why. In some cases, like in your case, direct has been the best, right? In other cases, there's, uh, there's a reason or purpose for those, whether it's a product or service. So you, you, those are, those are great points, really important because I see a lot of people wasting time with channel partners and channel partners taking significant margin in areas where they don't need to be and someone could go direct. So. Let, let's hop into that direct part that you've now mastered around demand generation. How are you guys acquiring new customers today?
0: So I think it's a layered approach. Number one, it begins with quality of service and repeatability of service. So beginning with the quality of service, you know that is a selling aspect, right? So if you deliver on what a customer wants and to, to the even exceed their expectations, that right there is marketing and sales, all bundled well into one for the next SOW, the next two, three, four. So it's not uncommon in sales with uh, services that if you do a great job and hit a home run, that soon that one initial engagement could lead into 20, 30, 40, 50. Um, the other aspect too, is repeatability, making sure that operationally that from a services standpoint for supporting direct sales, that you have a recipe for, you know, that same level of quality. To be done the next time, you know, and I equate it to, you know, for example, I went, I went to a basketball game here in my, in my home city and, you know, I remember the last time I went. Great experience from parking all the way to leaving the place and enjoying the game. This time wasn't, right? There's was a lot of things that faltered in terms of service, right? So when you think about direct sales, you can't go back to the customer if they basically had to eat crow on the last engagement. So I just mentioned those two things. Now, when it comes to building greater direct sales opportunities and channels, it's today in today's role is content, right? Are you a thought leader? And it's easy to be able to develop content that the industry is saying are hot topics. So in cybersecurity industry, the canvas of hot topics is, you know, let's say, you know, compliance with, you know, there's a new thing that's happening with, uh, you know, CMMC. So if you want to do business with the government, you have to be a certified CMMC, you know, vendor. So a lot of people are jumping on to say, how do I get that so I can get federal dollars as an example? You want to be able to look both at the market and you also want to look introspectively and say, do I, is my strategy for being a thought leader, is that driven by what the market is saying? Is that driven by what I'm saying, and it really, the answer is, it should be a combination of both, right? Because market could indicate market demand. And are you in a position to take advantage of that market demand based upon some core skill sets? So with direct sales, if you produce the right content and it has the right niche and distinguishing qualities, you're gonna get, you're gonna facilitate direct sales. And your sales cycle will actually go down because you've already preemptively solidified your expertise in the area right? And then that's going to basically spread like wildfires. So, so that it'll allow the pre-awareness stages and sales to really be catalyzed, right? They kind of know that you're the expert in something. They know your company's the expert in something. So it's going to really help to garnish direct sales more easily. The other thing, you know, too, with, with, you know, content, I want to, I picked this up actually from Google. I think it was Google that had this acronym called EAT, and we use this a lot at Versprite, almost on a daily basis is are you eating in the sense where eat stands for, are you an expert? Are you authoritative in what you're talking about? And does your customers or does your customer base trust you? If you have those conditions, right, that is really the the fuel for for great direct sales. So, but it's about developing content. A lot of times companies are developing content and say, oh, we got content out. But the content quality is not very good. So you're actually wasting marketing dollars, whether it be internal or external, and if you're not really hitting your target market, So you know for us, you know in, in our cybersecurity industry, we do a lot of more what we call white glove service, right? We're not the dollar general store, right? Nothing wrong with dollar general. And I'm not, to, not not to make that pejorative or anything. You know, I, I go to Dollar General just to kind of retract there. But the point is that there's economical solutions in any type of business model. And then there's like high-end luxury. And, you know, the what we try to be in is a space where, although there's really no high-end luxury in cybersecurity consulting, is to be able to take the time to find out that you truly have an issue, right? And so going back to the risk conversation we had earlier, Jim, We, as a cybersecurity firm, we want to qualify the risk issues that we put on paper and we want to quantify it for you. So we want to qualify. This is a threat because of these observable patterns, A, B, C. This will cost you this amount of pain because of what we've understood of your business, your product, the reputations or regulations of DEF, right? And so going back to direct sales, you got to learn how to eat. Make sure your people know how to eat. They want to learn how to eat and be an expert and authoritative and a trust figure within the industry to to really garnish that direct sales.
1: I got to tell you, man, you're making me pretty hungry between your eat acronym and your pasta <laughs> acronym. And I don't know, <laughs> it's you. You're a man who must love cuisine.
0: Oh, I love food, man. I love food. I love to eat. I love good food, and you know, I think it's it's an artistic activity for sure, but. Yeah, I, I think it's definitely, you know, all my analogies internally, you know, I think anyone within Versprite will laugh. You know, I, I use a lot of food analogies for sure.
1: One one thing that we talked about when we first met was um, connecting all these things that you're talking about, all these pains, all these gains, whether it's around marketing or it's around culture or anything within the business, connecting this to kind of a bigger Bigger purpose, right? Connecting what you do in business and life to a bigger purpose. Am I just talking a little bit about what that, what that means to you, what that means to Verse Bright, and and how that fits into this greater kingdom, if you will?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So Verse Bright, really, I mean the name, authentic, you know, Verse Bright. Again, it's it's more of a hidden. It's also a hidden message. We, you know, from a business standpoint. We wanted to be true spirited, authentic to our customers in cybersecurity, give them the truth, qualify risk, quantify risk. From a business standpoint, in terms of like, you know, as an entrepreneur and, you know, overall, you know, role and purpose and on this planet, you know, what are we doing? You know, what, what. Do we wake up just, you know, for the dollar bill? Do we wake up just for that extra check, that ACH deposit from, you know, XYZ Corporation? It becomes repetitive, right? You know, I think, you know, the daily aspirations to be able to make a difference is, and reconcile that difference to what? Is the difference that I feel individually as a human? Or is it the difference that comes from a more of a divine architecture, you know, which there's, you know, I have little, um, Hiding about it, I mean, I basically, you know, am a devout Catholic and at the same time a sinner, right? And I think it's important as an entrepreneur, you look to understand what is motivating you from a bigger picture, right? But beyond making it into 10, 50, 100, 250 million in gross revenue where your EBITDA is like, you know, 20%. Great what now right are you making a difference in people's lives are you making an impact for maybe some level of awakening right and everyone i think you know when when it comes to employees i think it starts there just like you know they say that you know service or faith begins at home we can talk a lot of good stuff outwardly and on the street corners and things like that but we have to be able to build right that kingdom within our own respective ser- circles, personal life family and then you know we we always talk about Versprite as a family. So when we bring someone in, you know, now we have their good, their bad, and they're ugly, right? Just like in a family. And so it's important for us to be able to motivate, push, encourage in a positive way that still establishes accountability, but also maybe, you know, depending on, you know, where the employee's at to be able to introduce the notion of like, what are we here for? So as a business model we want to be able to make sure that our business footprint after you know 100 200 years that those that have partaken in the Versebright journey whether they be clients whether they be employees or partners you know got a sense of some level of authenticity we want to reconcile with you know a purpose driven life of giving of trying to be you know altruistic with and judicious you know i have you know all of these things that i'm saying by the way are not really coming from for me as a human. They're they're inspired by you know divine texts by reflection and there's really a lot to unpack there because reflection can be looking at you know the gift of creation reconciling that that is a gift we have things that others do not today versus mm-hmm. maybe tomorrow and also reflecting that maybe you as an entrepreneur you have a gift you you're behind the wheel of a bus that many people. Don't have that luxury to be behind. Why you? Why do you have that opportunity and no one else? Right. So once we have that opportunity, then we have to have asked ourselves, what are we commissioned to do with that opportunity? Are we going to look just simply for the next car, you know, maybe a better lifestyle? Or do we want to be able to, you know, not only spread economic wealth, which is easy. Anyone can write checks. It's about spreading more of a purpose-driven spiritual wealth. Right. And that part is, not can be done in different ways, overtly, passively, you know, at the end of the day, that's very much what, you know, as a CEO and owner of the company, that's my daily, you know, mantra is to be able to say, you know, wake up say, okay, I'm going to go at it again. I'm going to try my best. And then at the end of the day, say, okay, how did I do? How are my KPIs? Did I hit all my goals or did I fail? And it's okay to fail. You know, oftentimes we, we, anyone out there that might be leveraging some sort of spiritual guidance as part of building their business and running their daily life um, may feel that we, you know, are failing them, then therefore we're hypocrites, right? Well, I got a slash. We're all hypocrites, right? And uh, my favorite saying is that, you know, the church is a hospital for sinners. And I, you know, it's definitely, you know, a place where, you know, there's always room for improvement, whether it be in you know, lowering down that vanity or that getting more humble pie, or whether it be to thinking, you know, as a better boss, right, to your employees with more empathy, you're going to have hiss and you're going to have misses. And it's because, you know, there, there's, there's a human aspect of to who we are. But the important thing, just like in business, is that you don't stop, right? You don't cease trying. And you might go into a valley, you might go into a slump. But it's there in the darkest of business times, the darkest of leadership times of spirituality where you're going to find, you know, that road to Calvary. So
1: when well, you're managing people with different views, the, the goal is that it's all under the same vision, right? And the goal is that whatever it is that you believe in is informing how you drive purpose into both. The business you work for or the business you own and your life and the way you run it what how does your faith inform how you lead and how you drive that that same vision to people with different views
0: yeah i mean in cybersecurity, you know if you look at all the, the depictions in hollywood of the hacker right they're wearing the hoodie they got the tatted up neck neck tattoos and things like that there there's there's a personification that, or this, there's this representation that it's very much a dark industry and things like that. And oftentimes, you know, there's, you know, um, that could be the case, you know, for sure, but like with any industry, there's all walks of life in there. And to your point, it makes it difficult to take one absolute type of truth. Right. And to be able to say to, you know, 20, 50, 60, a hundred people, Hey, this is the way, right now. I think just like when we look at you know for those that um espouse you know christianity you know i myself am catholic which is a form of christianity you know we know that you know the examples from you know obviously jesus christ is that is, is not something he's giving you know guidance at, at opportune times and he's first establishing a rapport at the person's level you think about the lady at the well you think about when he was recruiting for his disciples and things like that. And and I think I try to use that, you know, kind of as a guidance. Not everyone is ready for, you know, Jesus 24-7 or whatever religious precept or, you know, ideology that they, you know, that you're you're trying to share or run as the backbone of your business. So it's important that some people are going to be like, you know what, this isn't for me. I can't get behind it. But what you I think can do as a leader you know, in in that sense is to be able to simply take some of the things that relate to some of the principles of our faith to, to act on it so that it can be universally appreciated. So let's go through a couple of examples, you know, forgiveness, respect, you know, empathy, compassion, right? And you, you can stop there. These are all principles, not simply in, you know, Christianity, but in other types of, you know, religions. And, and, and also, you know, I think it's shaped kind of a modern uh, society and governments and things like that. Now, today's day and age, super interesting times that we're living in. So, you know, some things are upside down, in, you know, in my opinion, but I think that, you know, distilling it all down to respect, right? Compassion, but also accountability, you know, which is another major characteristic that we see oftentimes in scripture is to being accountable. I wake up and I go to bed and I have to think, I, re- I report to somebody that's ultimately going to judge my eternity with my own philosophy and opinion and belief. So that for me is purpose. The verse probably will come and go and all the computers and all the clients and everything will go away. So at the end of the day, what is your purpose? Now you can have that reflected to your employees on how you act. And so there's no better way to show the power of your faith you know, by which simply how you conduct your daily life, how your employees see you act with customers, how they see you act with coworkers, how you see you act, you know, when you go to conferences and things like that. So it's, um, it's definitely, you know, it's not a mountaintop that you just stay there forever. You know, you're, you're going to have avalanches. You're gonna, It's going to be, you know, they say that the, uh, the road to heaven is, is uphill and narrow and Filled with mudslides and the road to hell is paved with gold and, and uh you know, everything that's easy. Yeah. So and I think in general, some of the best things in this life are really require a lot of hard work. And going back to entrepreneurship, if you know what it takes to build a business, whether it be a $10,000 a year business or a $10 million a year, it takes a lot of hard work. And anything that is typically good in life takes a lot of sacrifice and hard work. Amen to that.
1: All right. So, um, as we, as we start to close up the show, we're going to transition into what we call our founder five, which is five quick hit, quick hit questions about your growth. So, um, the first one is what is the number one metric or KPI that you are relentlessly focused on?
0: I'd say the number one metric and the KPI would be retention. You know, retention of our customers have been kind of enamored with that metric you know over time because with a customer that you keep you can grow exponentially right you can you gain their trust you gain the trust of not just one person but you know five ten people within that organization especially nowadays you know you have a lot of turnover we see the news of layoffs happening so you might have landed an account but next thing you know all the people that you contacted with that got you in there are now gone right so you have to be able to Cultivate that relationship. And that, that is going back to feeding that metric of retention. So retention rate, I would say is my, is my, my metric that's always at uh, top of mind.
1: I still think I remember your retention rate from our first convo, which is 92%. Am I right?
0: Yeah. Our retention rate is super strong. And it goes back to just, you know, a, a big desire to cultivate good relationships, being authentic to our customers, um, you know, and just trying to be empathetic to their needs. And, you know, sometimes it's met with reciprocity and sometimes it's not. But at the end of the day, you know, we're trying to treat them as was as, as much as we would like to be treated from a business sense. So
1: that's incredible from a, from a services firm perspective in particular. So that's, that's awesome. All right. So second one is top tip for growth stage founders like yourself.
0: Network. So whether you're in product or in services, I say network, is, is so important to network. You know, when it comes to products, you know, you want to network with you, you're in a growth stage. Let's say you're trying to go from, you know, 10 to 30, right? 10 to 30 million. you You're going to need, you know, some help in order to do that. And not all of that help is going to be, you know, paid for help in terms of external agencies that you have to pay for. There's a lot of wealth of information simply in going into broadening your network, talking to other experts in the field that are in, you know, taxes, right, that are in, you know, marketing, that are in PR. And being able to understand first and recognize what are you missing um, mm-hmm. is going to really allow you to basically develop a playbook for who do you need to network with? Who do you need to rub elbows with more so that you can, you know, get to that next level? No one gets to any pinnacle in life, you know, alone. Yeah, definitely, you know, I didn't do everything that Versprite has achieved by myself. That's uh far-fetched you know, notion that, you know, that that's incorrect, it's been collaborative, it's been a team process. And anyone that's come through by is still here today or has gone, that's definitely contributed to the success that we've had. But, you know, in onboarding those individuals, um, it's it's been about networking, right? Finding great team members, networking. So I would say, you know, if you think that you're networking right, take it up 10 notch. You always have levels to break in through when it comes to networking. Yeah,
1: that's great. All right. The, uh, favorite book or podcast of yours that's helped you to grow as a founder?
0: I've got to say, you know, Bible one a year, um, right now is, is my favorite podcast. I listen to it, you know, I'm in the car and, uh, basically, you know, it's, it's just a good, I think, uh, the number one podcast in the world right now is from where it used to be as of, you know, a couple months ago, but, um, does a really good job of just, I guess, going back to what, what is the compass, right? What is the compass for how I need to lead, how I need to talk, how I need to act and things like that. And again, it's not easy, right? The, we need the, the closer you are to the top, the more forces are going to want you to fail. And those forces can be, you know, friends, coffee, you know, uh, and it could be anybody, right? Um, So you need to be able to step judiciously with how you're acting and how you're conducting your affairs and business and things like that. And I think there's a lot of golden, golden, you know, things in in, in the Bible that are reflected in this podcast, right? Uh, Father Mike does a phenomenal job, phenomenal job. I think the Bible is such a complex book, um, but he, he does a great job by contextualizing it and by distilling it into, you know, how can we leverage this in, in, in today's world in terms of applicability? so um that's got to be my go-to for for right now
1: what was that one called again
0: bible in a year
1: bible in a year got it yep all right a uh actor or actress if you'd like that would play you in a movie about your growth
0: you know i i gravitate to the uh you know like Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, I would have to say Robert De Niro. I, I could see, you know, I, I saw him in the movie with uh, Anne Hathaway. I think it was called The Intern, and obviously yes. a different role for for Robert De Niro, where you know he's just kind of a power sort of powerful figurehead and some sort of like crime boss. I think about you know Casino, Goodfellas, and things like that. Um, but I, I would say I really you know respect his his uh acting skills and just overall his legacy as an actor. I think he's super talented. So I guess selfishly, I'd pick him.
1: Classic. No, that's great. Great. All right. Lastly, what is going to be the title of your autobiography when you've achieved all you set out to?
0: The title of my autobiography that uh, reflects everything that I set out to, I guess I would say in his name. You know, when I wrote my first book, I wrote it in Latin, a dedication there and, uh, everything that, you know, we, we do, you know, as fathers, as husbands, as citizens, you know, to our country, um, we have to reconcile with something that's bigger, right? That's, I think that's really, you know, I'm not, I, I could go into, you know, a little bit about the background you know, for those that are interested, you know, coming up, you know, and from high school to, to college and, you know, there's so many struggles along the way, but one thing that's been constant as a, as a young kid, when I say young, I'm talking five, to be able to have that understanding of like, you know, who is your maker? And to, to understand, you know, to, to have that relationship, even with creation as a gift, right? To, mm-hmm. to be our first introduction to purpose and then to be, have that followed by the word and then have that followed by the spirit, that really shapes, you know, all the, the vision, right? The strength. That is needed to be an entrepreneur. So I think if I were to have an autobiography, you know, I would probably be be that in his name.
1: That's good. That's those are all terrific ones. Well, um, you've given a ton to our listeners today, Tony. So um, time for a little bit of self promotion as we close out. How can how can those listening help you out?
0: Well, as if there's anyone out there that, uh, is in need of cybersecurity services or knows of, um, maybe in their workforce, uh, you know, again, we as a, a global cybersecurity firm, we do business, you know, everywhere from Western Europe, Eastern Europe, you know, uh, we have employees and I think now like 15 different countries, um, which is awesome. But overall, you know, the challenges of cybersecurity are growing and they're especially challenging for, large multinational companies so if you happen to work for one if you happen to know of leaders that are making those decisions we'd love for you to be able to share verse as a, a name in the hat in their decisions for cybersecurity partners
1: awesome and what what's the best way for folks to get in contact with you
0: they can definitely follow me on on twitter i go by t zero Y U V. uv um I think there's a a rapper named tony uv that's out. there's an amateur rapper so not to get that confused and (laughs) then uh the other one is through linkedin you can find me there through tony uv as well but uh yeah those are the two best places awesome
1: thanks thanks so much for joining today tony and uh, good luck on the rest of your dirt
0: appreciate it man thanks to you jim and uh, appreciate the opportunity for all the audience uh, that listened in take care take care
1: If you loved today's episode of The Dirt, make sure you rate it on your favorite platform. And if you really liked us, go ahead and leave us an honest review. Thanks again for tuning in to The Dirt.